and we will not be meeting in this format. You are all invited to join us for a retreat that we're going to do, and hopefully you can attend for the folks in Athens, Greece. And that will be next weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So that's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We're going to be doing that. And then we will meet back here in this forum on the 22nd of May, which is two Saturdays from today. But we're here today, and I'm so glad to be here. And Maria, or one of you, if you could remind me, let's announce the fact that we're not going to be meeting next weekend at the end as well after our poll. So I'm so glad to be here. It is May 8th, 2021, and it is a beautiful day here in Arizona. I hope it's a beautiful day wherever you guys are as well. And I know we come from all four corners of the earth today because of Zoom. It's just amazing what God has done. We have been talking about sponsorship and sponsorship is so much the key to recovery. And it's very, very important that we don't fall into some of the pitfalls. We don't fall into some of the problems that a lot of people do fall into in sponsoring. And what is the first thing that we need to remember always is that we need to be in recovery. Our ship must be afloat in order for us to pass on what we have. Do we need to be- I have. Somebody's unmuted. Do we I'm need to- friend Evelyn. I spoke to her last night on my way home from Elsa's. My mom's friend, Evelyn. Mute them. That would be groovy. So that would be awesome if you could mute them. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Do you have to be perfect to be a sponsor? No, you just have to have had a spiritual awakening as a result of the steps. What is so important about sponsorship? What is so vital about this? Where does the disease live? Where does the recovery live? Here's where the disease lives. The disease lives in the mind and ego reacting to what is going on around us. The things people say, the things that they do, the things that they don't say, the things that they don't do. This is where the disease lives because we have basic instincts of life. And the basic instincts of life are the social instinct, the security instinct, and the sex instinct. And for edification on those instincts, check out the podcast on step number four, chapter five, step number four. And there is a good explanation of these basic instincts of life. But in any case, if every human being could have their basic instincts fulfilled to the level of satisfaction, there would never be any conflict on the face of the earth. Are you with me so far? And so the disease lives in us thinking we are not going to get what we think we're entitled to. There's not going to be enough admiration, the social instinct. There's not going to be enough money. There's not going to be enough emotional security. <clears throat> we're not going to get the sex we want, or we're not going to get it with the person that we think we should have it with or somebody's trying to take something away from us that we currently hold dear in these areas. That's where the disease lives. And where does the recovery live? The recovery lives in the working of the steps so that we are comfortable within our skin, 
and the mind doesn't see the need to react <clears throat> in a way that makes us eat food. Why do we eat food that way? We eat food to get what Dr. Silkworth says is the effect. What is that effect? It's that sense of ease and comfort that comes instantly by eating the food. And the food, if you are a compulsive overeater, will instantly change your perception of reality. Now, why am I talking about step one and step four as we talk about step 12? Well, I'll explain. The reason that we're talking about this as we go into more of step 12 is because in sponsoring and in being sponsored, these ideas, these thoughts, these behaviors, these shames, these humiliations, these victories, these fears, these resentments, all of these things that we have held on all of our life to for dear life because we didn't want to let them go. And we didn't want to let them go because then we'd have to take responsibility for our life. But in sponsoring and being sponsored, what we find out is we were not so different as we thought we were, that we were bozos on the bus, that we were like other people. Now, that's a very frightening thought to the ego, because the ego wants me to be different than everybody around me. Somehow I'm better. Somehow I'm worse somehow I'm different. And that's one of the jobs of the ego. And what happens through sponsorship is I start to share with another person how scared I am of approaching someone for a date, of how insecure I am in certain areas of my life, how I resent certain things about life. Tomorrow is Mother's Day. Well, I have to ignore Mother's Day. I have to pretend it's not happening. Why? Well, my mother died when I was 22. I'm 66. I, the mother of my child and, and my child, I don't really have any communication with them. So I can't really do what I want to do. I'd like to get up tomorrow morning and just text my ex-wife, hey, happy Mother's Day. And, and, you know, divorce myself from any results or anything like that. I would like to be able to do that. I can't. I wish I could. I think it would be a nice thing. I don't have a mom. And there's no mom of my child that I can really communicate with. So that's something that I had to talk about this week with my sponsor. That's something I have to talk about because it's something that can make me feel sorry for myself if I allow it or I have to really remind myself of certain things. Well, what's the point that I'm getting to? The point that I'm getting to is in communicating with another person. Not only do they guide me through the steps to affect a spiritual awakening as the result of those steps, but what else happens is as they share their lives with me and I with them, <clears throat> I start to realize what was going on behind me. Take a look at the picture behind my head. This is the man on the bed. And the man in the undershirt is Bill Dotson. And the other two guys are supposed to be Bill and Bob. 
doesn't look like them at all. I don't know who drew the picture. Whoever drew the picture certainly wasn't a, a very good uh, portrait person because none of these people look like who they're supposed to. But I, I assume that it's just supposed to be a generic man on the bed. And the man on the bed being Bill Dotson, what was his revelation? His revelation is you two fellas understand and what did he tell his wife? It's accounted for in the big book. These are the fellas I was telling you about, he said to her. These are the fellas that understand. And what attracted Bob to Bill? Bob said to his wife, Anne, and to Henrietta Cyberling, this guy, meaning Bill Wilson, is the first guy that ever understood my drinking. Well, what's funny about that is Bill didn't say anything to Bob about Bob's drinking. He only talked to him about his drinking. And through relating my story of how I came to be under the gun of this unbelievable disease that is permanent, progressive, and fatal. My friend in Oklahoma says it's permanent, progressive, and fatal. Um, but it's permanent, progressive, and fatal. How I became an object of ridicule. How I became emasculated physically in this disease. How I became emasculated emotionally in this disease. How the rejection of the women that I had crushes on, my unrequited crushes, and even the ones <clears throat> where I actually did maybe had some physical contact, not physical, sexual, but, you know, some contact with them, how much that hurt and how scary it is for me to be 66 and single. It's very, very frightening. I don't want to live alone. I don't want to die alone, but I'm alone today, but I have God and we'll see where that goes. So the bottom line is in sharing myself with him and he with me, I start to understand that these ideas, these thoughts that I believed were secret unto me, because how in the world would you guys know what it's like to be me? And then I find out that whether you're tall or short, black or white, Catholic, Protestant, Jewish, Muslim, whether you're Native American, whether you're European or Asian, or whether you come from God knows where, we as humans, are more the same than we are different. Now, is that alone going to give me respite from this disease? No, but it's part of the puzzle. It's a part of the puzzle. And so these things become very, very key. We were not meant to recover in a vacuum. I can learn certain things. I can read a history book and I can get the gist of it by myself, although it helps to talk to a professor and, you know, get some input that may be not in the book. But one of the things I can tell you for sure, based on my years of experience are, we were never really meant to recover by ourselves. Now that almost seems funny because there's passages in the book that let us know they weren't 100% sure that the reader of the book would have contact with anybody else in AA. And the book was written in such a way that you could use it to recover. But isn't it much sweeter and isn't it much more effective when we have each other? Can I, can I recover on fellowship alone? No, I can't. 
Can I recover on meetings alone? No, I can't. Can I recover on a food plan alone? No, I can't. But when all of those things are taken together, provided I'm working the steps, because of the spiritual awakening in the steps, I do not find it necessary to eat compulsively because my brain does not lock in on that sense of ease and comfort that comes instantly by eating the food. Because I, for today, already feel better. And that's what we're going to talk about today is the unbelievable miracle that is sponsorship. Let's go to page 96, 96. Suppose now you are making your second visit. And I'll give you a minute to get to that point. Page 96, suppose now that you are making your second visit. Now, some of the things while you're flipping pages, some of the things that we're going to be talking about today are not as applicable as they were then with the alcoholics that were coming out of the Oxford group and entering into the AA groups in Akron, Cleveland, and New York. Some of them are not really applicable as we sit here today, but let's take what we want and leave the rest. Suppose now you are making your second visit to a man. He has read this volume and says he is prepared to go through with the 12 steps of the program of recovery. In other words, I'm ready to do business. Having had the experience yourself, you can give him much practical advice. Let him know you are available if he wishes to make a decision, step three, and, and tell his story, step four but do not insist if he prefers to consult someone else. In other words, don't take anything personally. I know people that call me all the time. They've been with the same sponsor for years and they've been in and out of relapse every month or two in that years long period of time. And when I suggest to them that they get a different sponsor, that they need to hear a different voice, they're almost insulted. Why? Because they're comfortable in the crap. They're comfortable in the, in, in, the, uh, in the tub of water that never worked for them. So they need to make some changes. And one of the things you learn in this endeavor is don't take anything personal. Don't take the failures personal. Don't take the, the successes personal. Remember that we are not in the results business. And the results are up to the person and God. The people that work the steps, remember, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to this simple program. If that person that you're trying to sponsor will not give themselves to this simple program, there's not going to be a recovery there. And that has nothing to do with you. I can lead the horse to water. I can't make him drink. <sighs> okay. He may be broken homeless. If he is, you might try to help him about getting a job or give him a little financial assistance, but you should not deprive your family or creditors of money that they should have. Perhaps you will want to take the man into your home for a few days, but be sure you use discretion. Be certain he will be welcomed by your family and that he is not trying to impose upon you for money, connections, or shelter. Permit that you only harm him. 
you will be making it possible for him to be insincere. You may be aiding in his destruction rather than in his recovery. In other words, you can help to a point, but then to beyond that point, it is up to the person. You are not their banker. You are not their hotel. You are none of those things. So use discretion and use common sense. If you feel that you're being put upon, say something. Say something. You have the right to say something. <sighs> Remember always, we are not in the results business. Page 97 at the top, never avoid these responsibilities, but be sure you are doing the right thing if you assume them. Very, very important sentence. Now, when I read the next sentence, this is a repetition of so much that's in the book. And when the book wants to teach us something, it repeats it. It's called spiraling the information. And what we're having here, we go back to the doctor's opinion. He calls it an altruistic movement. Bill Wilson tells us in his stories that we must work with others as Ebby had worked with him. That if we don't do so, then faith would be dead indeed and we will drink again. If we drink with us to drink is to die. In another part of the book, it says, our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. In another part of the book, it says, we cannot just be doing good deeds once in a while. We must play the good Samaritan every day. That's why I really don't understand people who say, you can't call me on the weekends, or you can only call me once or twice a week, three times or whatever it is. I call my sponsor every single day. My sponsees call me every single day. When there's a day that I wake up that I'm not a compulsive overeater, maybe I won't make that phone call. But as I wake up today, I am still a compulsive overeater. And just because a day has a certain title to it doesn't mean that I get a rest from being a compulsive overeater. If nothing else is in place, my ego needs to be deflated to that point where I make that phone call to my sponsor that I would really rather not make. I would rather live my life in isolation. I would rather live my life completely devoid of telling anybody the truth about anything. That's this disease in its active form. And that's why I ask my sponsees all the time, what is it that you don't want to tell me? What is it that you'd rather not talk about? And even if they don't tell me, it gives them reason to pause and think about what they're doing. Helping others is the foundation stone of your recovery. Helping others is the foundation stone of your recovery. A kindly act once in a while isn't enough. You have to act the Good Samaritan every day, if need be. It may mean the loss of many nights sleep, great interference with your pleasures, interruptions to your business. It may mean sharing your money or your, and your home counseling frantic wives and relatives, innumerable trips to police courts, sanitariums, hospitals, jails, and asylums. Your telephone may jangle at any time of the day or night. I guess they didn't see cell phones coming that we can turn off or put on silent vibrate, huh? Your wife may sometimes say she is neglected. A drunk may smash the furniture in your home or burn a mattress. You may have to fight with him if he is violent. 
I wouldn't suggest that, especially for some of you ladies that are more frail. I wouldn't suggest fighting with anybody physically if they're violent. Call, call 911 instead. Sometimes you will have to call a doctor and administer a sedatives under his direction. Another time you may have to send for the police or an ambulance. Occasionally you'll have to meet such conditions. We seldom allow an alcoholic to live in our homes for, a lo for long at a time. It is not good for him and it sometimes creates serious complications in a family. Now, let me tell you a little story about Bill Wilson and how he learned that lesson. And he learned that lesson very, very much the hard way because you see, Bill wasn't very good as a sponsor at the very beginning. And there was a guy by the name of Bill Cousins and he's talked about on the last page of Bill's story on page 16, <clears throat> he talks about the guy that committed suicide in their home. The guy was a lawyer, his name was Bill Cousins and he was a world-renowned bridge bum. He was considered a bridge bum because he'd rather play bridge than breathe. And he was a master bridge player. And Bill Cousins was also an alcoholic and a gambler. And he lived in the Wilson's home. And one day they were visiting uh, Fitz Mayo and his wife. And his wife and, and, and Lois were friends and... Um, uh, Bill and Fitz were very good friends and they went out to visit the Mayos for the weekend. And when they got back, it was Sunday evening and Bill was dead. He had killed himself by letting the gas go. And what they found out later is he was stealing their clothing and their suitcases. He was stealing whatever he could get his hands on from closets and sheds at 182 Clinton Street and pawning those things for money to, to go and drink and to play bridge. And um, the Wilsons didn't find this out until after he was dead. And Bill learned a very tough lesson. He learned the lesson, don't try to sober someone up that does not want to be sobered up. This is not a program for people who need it. There's 137 of us on the line right now. And I thank God for all of you. I can't imagine uh, 137 people coming to this Zoom to hear me, but thank you very much. It's quite a compliment. But the point I'm trying to make is if this was a program for people who needed it, there'd be 138 million people on this line because obesity is the number one killer. It's the number one epidemic. Today, obesity is at record levels, especially with the pandemic. People are calling it the, the, the COVID, not the 19, COVID-19. They're calling it the COVID-20. What is the COVID-20? The COVID-20 are the 20 pounds people gained on average by being at home for a year. And they're calling it the COVID-20. So you've got a lot of people out there. They may not be compulsive overeaters, but there's a lot of people out there that need this program. They're not here. 
This is not a program for people who need it. It's not a program for people who want it. It's a program for people who do it. And when you get to a point where you're sponsoring someone that really doesn't want this program, you're hurting yourself, you're hurting them, and you're hurting someone else who needs a sponsor and you could be helping them while you're wasting your time with someone who has no intention of working these steps. So it becomes very counterproductive. Did you know, excuse me, did you notice in chapter three when they talk about Fred and they talk about we worked with him? Notice it doesn't say I worked with him. It says we worked with him. In other words, Fred kept getting drunk. Fred was the partner in the well-known law firm and he went to Washington. Okay. They didn't give one person the job of sponsoring this relapser. They passed him around. They didn't let him sit there and mire in one person. They passed him around. Notice the word we worked with him as opposed to I worked with him. In the big book, you have to really look at words. You have to watch your words. And it's very reminiscent uh, for many of studying other, other more religious things. You have to look at each word as it comes out because each word has a meaning. Let's continue. Though an alcoholic does not respond, there is no reason why you should neglect his family. You should continue to be friendly to them. Not as appropriate today necessarily because I don't know your families. Now, there may be someone on the line today. There may be two people actually on the line or three who I do know their families. I've met them. I've broken bread with them. We've, we've, been, we've known each other for a very, very long time. But most of you, I don't. So I wouldn't know your spouse or I wouldn't know your children if I saw them. And the other thing that's very different today is I can't tell where all of you are from, obviously. But I know from experience, there's people here from Ireland, for sure, from Scottsdale, Arizona, from Geneva, Illinois. We've got Dublin, Georgia. We've got Dublin, Ireland. We've got maybe Dublin, Ohio. I don't know. But we've got lots of different places represented here. And so we may not ever run into each other's families. Let's continue. The family should be offered your way of life. Should they accept and practice spiritual principles? What are the principles? The principles are the steps. There is a much better chance that the head of the family will recover. If everybody around you is living this way, you might, you might wake up, hopefully you will. And even though he continues to drink, the family will find life more bearable. For the type of alcoholic who is able and willing to get well, Little charity in the ordinary sense of the word is needed or wanted. So let's take a look at what we've read on page 96 from last week to today. What we're talking about here on page 96 and 97 is not only when to sponsor and how to sponsor, but when not to. It's very important to know when to do something it's very important to know when not to do something. Ever listen to music? What's one of the most beautiful things about the music is the spacing of the notes. 
if every instrument in the orchestra just played all their notes at the same time, it wouldn't be music, it would be noise. It would be very annoying, it wouldn't be music. If all the actors in a play just spoke their lines with no regard for what was going on around them, it would just be jibber jabber, it wouldn't be anything. So there's a time to sponsor, and then it says at the top of 96, sometimes you have to leave such a person alone. Now, as we go on to page 98, and we're going to start with, it's not a matter of give. oh wait, we didn't finish yet, sorry. Ordinary sense of the word is needed or wanted. The men who cry for money and shelter before conquering alcohol are on the wrong track. Yet we do go to great extremes to provide each other with these things when such action is warranted. This may seem inconsistent, but we think it is not. What we're going to be talking about now, the, the word is not here on the page, but what we're going to be talking about on page 98, it's not really 10, 30, oh my God, um, is priorities, priorities. We are busy people. I guarantee you every person on, on this list of participants that I don't have the time or really the interest right now to go through because I'm thinking about what I'm going to say. But I bet if I gave my little mouse here a spin and I stopped at any name on here, it's quite amazing how complex and interesting your life is. Even though it may not seem that way to you, I would probably be astounded at the things that you're able to do. Some of you have little children. Some of you are newly married. Some of you are empty nesters. Some of you live alone like me. Some of you, whatever. What, some of you are professional. Some of you are retired. Some of you are just starting businesses. You're just starting your careers. I don't care. I don't care. God doesn't care. God cares, but I don't care. This has to be the number one priority. And when I came into Overeaters Anonymous in 1979 on February 2nd, I wanted to make a deal with God. You make me thin and then I'll do your program. Well, that worked wonders. That was just a great way of working the program cutting a quid pro quo deal with God. That worked like a charm, just fantastic, excellent. And I probably gained 50, 75 pounds, whatever, with that attitude. And I was mad at God. I wanted to be thin and I wanted to be rich. And if I was rich and if I was thin, I'd get a girlfriend. If I had a girlfriend, I wouldn't need this stupid program. Little did I know how ridiculous this was. It's absolutely ridiculous. And it doesn't work that way. What happened is I had to get off my high horse and stop making deals with God. Does everybody know what quid pro quo means? It's a legal term. It's a Latin expression that means you do this and I'll do that. That's what it means. You do this and I'll do that. Okay. Or I'll do this and you do that, whatever it is. It's making a deal with God and it doesn't work. So I don't care how busy an individual is. I don't care that you're just starting out your career. I don't care that you're a young mom. We found the time to eat. We must find the time to recover. It's got to be priority numeral uno. It's got to be job one. 
Nothing can come between me and my program. Here's a conversation I never had with anybody in my entire life. Man, I was so busy yesterday. Holy mackerel. And don't forget, I, we, I, I'm a father too, even though my daughter doesn't speak to me, but I'm a father too. And she spoke a lot to me in those days when she was very, very young. And we were just starting a business at that time. We were up in Eugene, Oregon, hence the duck shirt. We were up in Eugene, Oregon at that time, and I had my hands full and I had to make the time to recover. When I got into recovery, it was there and they don't have OA in Eugene, Oregon. There's no such thing, but they have AA. And I went to the new freedom group on Coburg Road and they welcomed me with open arms and they knew my secret that I was not an alcoholic and they welcomed me and they encouraged me not to share so much in their meetings, obviously, but they encouraged me to come to their big book studies. And there was a guy there by the name of Les Downs. I learned a lot about big book from Les Downs. He was wonderful. And I had a sponsor up there that was in AA, not in OA. And he really helped me a lot. And I got, I got abstinent up in Eugene, Oregon. Now, where am I going with that? Here's a conversation I never had. God, I was so busy yesterday, I forgot to eat milk duds. Man, I was so busy yesterday, I forgot to eat french fries and Doritos. I never had that conversation. I found a way to get to the food no matter what. Now I have to find a way to recover no matter what. Yes, you may be in a position where life is very busy. Nobody is denying that. Nobody is saying your life isn't busy. But if I found the time to eat and I found the time to get the food and I found the time to isolate myself so I could eat the food in private, I damn well better find the time to recover. Let's take a look at the next paragraph. It is not a matter of giving that is in question, but when and how to give. That often makes the difference between failure and success. The minute we put our work on a service plane, the alcoholic commences to rely upon our assistance rather than upon God. In other words, we start to become people reliant rather than God reliant. If I've learned anything, it's B on page 60. No human power could have relieved my compulsion. No human power. I love my sponsor. He's a wonderful, wonderful person. He is just, he is a king of men, but he cannot get me or keep me abstinent. God can. He clamors for this or that claiming he cannot master alcohol until his material needs are cared for. Here's the shortest sentence in the book. It's a one word sentence. If that book was written In the 60s or later, it wouldn't say this. It would say either Narishkite, but I don't know if Bill Wilson was good at Yiddish. Narishkite is nonsense, foolishness, but it says nonsense. If that book was written now, it might say BS. BS. Nonsense. Some of us have taken very hard knocks to learn this truth. Job or no job. Wife or no wife, husband or no husband. We simply do not stop drinking so long as we place dependence upon other people ahead of dependence on God. 
page 60, B, that no human power could have relieved my compulsion. No human power. Burn the idea into the consciousness of every man that he can get well regardless of anyone. The only condition is that he trust in God and clean house. Steps one, two, and three. Steps four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, and 12. Very, very important. No matter what is going on in my world, no matter what is going on, and I have concerns just like you do. I have challenges just like you do. I have things that are in my life today that I wish were different. I was having this conversation with somebody just the other day. I think it was Thursday or yesterday. There's nothing in this book that says, now that I'm in recovery, everything is going to go my way. There is nothing in this book that says, now when I dress in the morning, I'm going to turn into a cartoon and birds are going to sing and music's going to play. And uh, there's nothing in this book that says that. No matter how evolved my recovery gets, I will never rise above the level of a human being. And as a human being, I'm going to have challenges. And when those challenges arise, I better be doing step 10. I better be going to God because those challenges are going to scare me. They're going to make me angry. They're going to upset my basic instincts of life or my perception thereof. And if I'm not in fit spiritual condition, my brain will lock in on that sense of ease and comfort that comes instantly by eating the food. I will eat the food in search of relief from the intense pain of not eating. And when I eat the food, it will give me temporary relief for about 10 seconds, nine seconds, but I will trigger the allergy. This program does not take days off. This program does not give me respite. This disease, I'm, I don't mean that. I don't mean the program. I mean the disease, sorry. The disease does not take days off. The disease does not give me respite from it. The disease is permanent, progressive, and fatal. And it will catch me and it will kill me. It wants me dead, but it will settle for me being alone. It will settle for me being scared, angry, isolated, guilt-ridden, shame-ridden, an object of ridicule, an object of shame, that I won't be able to face you. Now that I'm in full-blown relapse and I've gained 150 pounds, I won't be able to look you in the eye and that's what the disease wants. And the only way that I'll get any relief is through more eating. I've eaten railroad cars full of Chips Ahoy cookies to kill the pain of eating railroad cars full of Chips Ahoy cookies. This program of recovery must be job one. Nothing comes before this. Now the domestic problem, there may be divorce, separation, or just strained relations. When your prospect has made such reparation as he can to his family, step nine, and has thoroughly explained to them the new principles by which he is living, 
he should proceed to put these principles into action at home, step 12. What are the principles? The principles are the steps. That is, if he is lucky enough to have a home, though his family be at fault in many respects, he should not be concerned about that. He should concentrate on his own spiritual demonstration. No matter what's going on around you, work your program. No matter what today brings, work your program. No matter what today is what about today is challenging, work your program. There's no problem that I've ever had in my life where eating more food is going to make that problem better. Let me say that again. There is no problem I've ever had in my entire life where eating more food is going to make that problem any better. He should concentrate on his own spiritual demonstration. Argument and fault finding are to be avoided like the plague, step 10. In many homes, this is a difficult thing to do, but it must be done if any results are to be expected. In other words, I'm going to have to change the dynamic. Many couples, whether they're romantically involved or whether they're just friends or co-workers or whatever it is, there's a dance that they do. It's a collusion cycle. The more A argues, the more B argues. The more A argues, the more B argues, the more A argues. The more A argues, the more B. You've all been in these collusion cycles. It's time to break the cycle. I would rather be happy than right. It could be a coworker, it could be you and your parents, it could be you and your spouse, you and your children, whatever that may be, you and your friends, doesn't matter. At some point, somebody's gonna have to break that cycle. And in most cases, it's gonna have to be you, the recovered person. If persisted in for a few months, the effect on a man's family is sure to be great. The most incompatible people discover they have a basis upon which they can meet. Little by little, the family may see their own defects and admit them. These can then be discussed in an atmosphere of helpfulness and friendliness. Maybe you don't have a family like me where you can discuss anything. That's okay. That's okay. We just keep recovering. We just keep recovering. After they have seen tangible results, the family will perhaps, will perhaps want to go along. These things will come to pass naturally and in good time, provided, however, the alcoholic continues to demonstrate that he can be sober, considerate, and helpful, regardless of what anyone says or does. You have to be, as the recovering person, you have to be the adult in the room and conduct yourself in a way that's like a recovering person. You cannot wait for someone else to take the lead. Lois Wilson was befuddled, baffled. She has been trying to get Bill Wilson to stop drinking since 1917. It is now November of 1934. 17 years has passed, almost 18. They were on the cutting edge of, 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 of uh, 1935. December of 35, with weeks to go in the year, Bill gets sober for the final time. Yes, Lois was thrilled that he was sober, but really, Ebby Thatcher, a drunk from Vermont and, and whose father was the mayor of Albany, New York, 
Lois knew Ebby from the time he was in, in a stroller. Lois, the Burnhams knew the, knew the Thatchers from the time Ebby was a child, a toddler. This is the guy that gets him sober, a drunk. She couldn't figure it out to save her life. She couldn't figure it out to save it. And then this doctor from Akron, who the hell is this guy? What? What's his name? Who's he? What? Really? That's the people that get him sober are drunks? I've been trying to get this guy sober for 17 years. She couldn't figure it out. And Bill had to continue as best he could to be the sober one in the room. And Lois founded Al-Anon in 1950. Her and Ann Bingham, they founded the program of Al-Anon to deal with things like this, okay? Ann Bingham and Lois uh, Wilson were the founders of Al-Anon. Of course, I'm, I'm back on page 99. Of course, we all fall much below this standard many times. But we must try to repair the damage immediately, step 10, lest we pay the penalty by a spree. If there be divorce or separation, there should be no undue haste for the couple to get together. The man should be sure of his recovery. The wife should fully understand his new way of life. If their old relationship is to be assumed, it must be on a better basis since the former did not work. Now, when they're talking about the domestic relationship that doesn't work, let's take a look at how that is not just about domestic relationships. Is the relationship you have today with your sponsor working for you? Are you doing what the person is saying or are they just co-signing your horse horse baloney. You as a sponsor, are you sponsoring someone that is consistently slipping and sliding? Maybe you need to hear a different voice. Maybe they need to hear a different voice. Don't be afraid to call a spade a spade. Don't be afraid to say this isn't working. Don't be afraid of results. This is not, we are not in the results business. This means a new attitude and spirit all around. Take that into your sponsorship as well as your domestic life. Sometimes it is to the best interest of all concerned that a couple remain apart. Obviously, no rule can be laid down. Let the alcoholic continue his program day by day. When the time for living together has come, it will be apparent to both parties. Don't rush anything. It's God's world. I want, I want, I want. You know, that's not going to work. That's not going to help me. I want, I want, I want. Uh-uh, that's not, that's not what we're here for. Bottom of 99. Let no alcoholic say he cannot recover unless he has his family back. In other words, you're dependent upon God. You are not dependent upon your family. This just isn't so. In some cases, the wife will never come back for one reason or another. Remind the prospect that his recovery is not dependent upon people. It is dependent upon his relationship with God. I could do a whole retreat on just that sentence. If there's a couple of sentences in this book that I could go a weekend, come into your town in person or on Zoom and do a retreat 
Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday, this is one of those sentences. And the sentence is, it is not, it is dependent upon his relationship with God, not his relationship with people. And if I think that my relationship with Mo or Larry or Curly or Susie or Mary or Jane is going to make me or break me, I'm out of my mind. I'm out of my cotton-picking mind. B, that no human power could have relieved my compulsion. C, that God could and would if he were sought. And the ABCs are on page 60. And those ABCs are universal truths that play out through the entire program. I'm thinking about page 60, if you're wondering, A, that we were alcoholic and could not manage our own life, B, that no human power could have relieved my alcoholism, and C, that God could and would if he were sought. How do I seek God? By praying. That's part of it, small part. That's a part of it. I seek God not only through the working of the steps, but I seek him in serving him and helping others. This is a altruistic program. We must get out of ourselves. My friend in South New Jersey says this all the time. The italics are hers. If you're afraid to sponsor and you're at that point in the steps, you better be afraid not to because by not sponsoring, you're in trouble. Remember, boys and girls, we do not get this program by absorbing spiritual information. We get this program by transmitting spiritual information. I'll tell you something I get asked a lot. How do you remember what page everything is on? And how do you remember where this is and where that is? Where did you learn all that stuff? Well, I'll tell you where I didn't learn it. I didn't take a PhD course in big book at Northwestern University in Evanston. I didn't do that. Here's how I learned it. I learned it by teaching it to others. That's how I learned it. That's by rote repetition. ABCs, page 60, I know what they are. What's the seventh step prayer? What's the third step? You learn it by rote repetition. And if you teach this book to enough people, you will find that you will learn it too, because it's really not that complicated. It's very, very important. We have seen men get well whose families have not returned at all. My family didn't return. I begged my wife, don't divorce me. I want to stay. We're, this is a family. Don't break up the family. She told me May 16th. It's coming up May 16th, 2010. I have fallen in love with somebody and they make more money than you. And that you know that's very important to me. And she said, we are getting a divorce. And there was nothing I could do. There was nothing I could do at that point. I did everything I could to keep my family together. I failed. I'm still in recovery. Believe me when I tell you, when I woke up in that apartment on August the third, August 14th was the first morning I woke up in my apartment in Scottsdale. I had this big house. Now I'm living in a one bedroom apartment with two big German shepherds. 
And uh, I was traumatized by that divorce in every way you can be financially, emotionally, spiritually. I was traumatized by that divorce. This was the only family I had. I did. I don't have brothers and sisters. I don't have aunts, uncles, cousins. You know, I don't have that. This was traumatic for me to wake up that morning. And I don't know that I've ever been in a lower emotional state than I was that morning of August the 14th, 2010. I got up, I walked the dogs, I took the dogs across the street, I ran the crap out of them, I threw that ball until their tongues were hanging out. August in Scotts, August in Arizona, it's very, very hot. So I would keep them out for a minimum of an hour, but not much after that because it, you know it, they can get heat stroke too. And um, that was a very long day for me. You know what I did at uh, 10 o'clock that morning, August the 14th, 2010? I'll tell you exactly what I did that morning. I got myself dressed, I got myself put together, and I went over to that coffee plantation. There were people waiting for me. I went over to that coffee plantation and I did the big book study. And most of us went out to lunch at Pita Jungle right there uh, Larry Kay and I went to lunch there the other day. He was visiting, well, we've gone there several times, but he was visiting me here the other day, uh, a couple of weeks ago when we went there and I showed him where that's what I did because that's what my program taught me. Suit up, show up and shut up. Yes, it was a horrible, horrible day in my life. It was a horrible nightmarish day that day that my wife and kid were living in a house that I had paid for and uh, she was uh, she was using that night, that Friday night. The Saturday was my first morning in the in the apartment. She was going to invite this man over. She wanted him to meet my daughter, and they had dinner together, the three of them, and blah blah blah. Very very tough time. Very tough time for me, and I was very upset with God. Very upset with God. How could you let this happen? I just kept rowing my boat to shore. That's what I had been taught. And that's what I had been teaching other people to do. There was no thought in my head of not doing that. I was not going to pull the covers over my head and start isolating now. But that was a very dark time in my life. You've had your dark times in your life. We need to keep going and trudge that road of happy destiny together. We need to see the results that we can get from God and they will be astounding. I have a good life today. It's not everything I'd want it to be. I still don't have a relationship with my child. I wish I did. She lives in New York now. She's married. I have a grandson. I've never met him. He's going to be three years old pretty soon here. I've never met him. He probably doesn't even know he has a grandpa and I would love to meet him, but I, I, there's nothing I can do. I wish I could have a friendlier relationship with my ex-wife. I wish we could at least be friendly. We don't have to be friends. We don't have to hang out, but it, it would be nice if we could be friendly. I can't do that. I can't make that happen. So there are things in a life that challenge the best of us. There's things in our life that challenge all of us, not the best of us, because who's to say who's the best, that challenge all of us. That's what I meant to say. There are things that happen in a person's life that challenge any of us. I didn't mean to say the best of us. 
But the bottom line is, is that no matter what happens, I have a proven workable method by which I can live as a free man. Now, I'm going to talk just for a couple more minutes because I don't want to do the 12 step promises. The next paragraph is the 12 step promises on page 100. And that's really where I want to lead off in the next uh, when we're together in two weeks. And I want to remind all of you once again, next week, we're not going to be together in this forum. You are more than welcome. Maria in Dublin, uh, Ireland, not Georgia. Maria in Dublin is going to post the, uh, the Zoom information on the retreat for the people in Athens, Greece. But I just want to tell you that I've already told you about these nightmarish things that happened, blah, blah, blah. I have a wonderful life today in many, many ways. Um, do I wish certain things about my life were different? Of course, we all do. We all have those thoughts. I have a life that includes many loving and adoring friends and many loving and adoring people in all walks of life from different countries. I have a program that works. I have purpose to my life. How many people can say they have purpose to their lives? I'm getting to be an age now. I'm going to be 67 years old here in just a couple of days. I've got a couple more days to be 66. And I'm going to be 67 here in a couple of days. And many of my friends, they're retiring now. They're, they're giving up their businesses or they're selling their practices or they're turning their businesses over to their children or their son-in-laws or daughters-in-law or whoever. And they say the same thing. What am I going to do? What the heck am I going to do? I'm bored out of my mind. How much golf can you play? That would not be me. I have a purpose in my life. And the purpose to my life is to be of maximum service to God and the people about me. I have a purpose to my life. And my life includes Zoom meetings now. I don't know, I don't know if or when we're going to get back to live meetings or a hybrid meeting. But for right now, I have a Zoom community of Sunday through Thursday of people that are on this bat channel, this same Zoom information. Uh, we're going to be uh, Monday through Thursday, 5.30 to 6.30 Pacific time. And Sunday is six, but we're going to change it to 530, I think. I have the Zoom community and they're wonderful and they're fantastic and they're awesome people. And I look forward all day to that meeting. And I walk in the morning. I walk three miles, six days a week. And I do my swimming later on in the day. And I have my business. I still have to work, unfortunately. But I have a purpose and a rhythm to my life. And I've said this before, I'm going to say it again, and I'm actually over time now, but I'm going to say this again. This is the greatest way of life imaginable. How I have not jumped out the window after all the things that I've told you. How I have not destroyed myself with, with um, Chips Ahoy and all this other stuff and Milk Duds and Kit Kats is a miracle of God. And where I walked in the path of recovery, so can you. We're gonna turn this back over to Maria. I hope that today was in some way meaningful for you. I hope today was helpful. 